0: So one of the things that I've come to understand in my short life is that life is a journey. Life is a process. It is a path. Then it's not just about a destination, but life is a journey. I remember growing up, there were times in which I couldn't wait for the next big moment to happen. I remember as I was going through high school, I couldn't wait to graduate from high school. I just, every day I thought about the day that I got a chance to take my cap and gown, and then at the end of the ceremony, take my my cap and throw it up into the air. I couldn't wait for that day to happen. But then after I graduated from high school, I couldn't wait until I graduated from college. Again, I couldn't wait until I had now. I had a different kind of outfit on, and I couldn't wait to take that cap and throw it up into the air. But then after I did that, I could not wait until I got married. I couldn't wait for that day. I remember the nights I would stay awake in college just praying, God, when are you going to send me this one, this one that you have made for me, this one that I am to be married to? I couldn't wait for that moment. And that moment came, and that moment went... And then I couldn't wait to get a job. Oh, I can't wait so that I can start making money so that I can get a house and so that I, my family and I can get a family and have all of these things. But you know, one of the things I've learned along the way in some of these big moments is that in our lives, we can't just live for the big moments. For life is truly experienced, not just in the big moments, but it's experienced in the everyday journey towards those big moments. That's where life is at. Life is in the daily, in the seemingly mundane. Life is there because your life is made up of the journey towards those moments. And you know, in our relationship with God, to know God, it is a journey it's not a destination, not just a destination, but it's a journey. It's a lifelong process of daily living with the Lord. Not just living in these emotional highs, in these, these times of, of closeness, absolute closeness with the Lord, but we live in the daily. We walk with Him daily. And it's in that journey that we see Him for who He truly is. It's not just in the big moments, but it's in the daily moments. And as we've been walking through the book of Exodus in this sermon series, one of the things that we've seen is that God in the daily, in the mundane, is continuing to reveal himself to his people through this journey. He's taking his people on a journey. He's just set them free from slavery in Egypt. And now he's walking, he's walked them through the uh, Red Sea. And now he's on a journey taking them from Egypt. To Mount Sinai. And that's the process and that's the path that we have been looking at in this sermon series. And in this portion of the journey, what God has been doing, the God of the universe has been taking the time to to work towards establishing trust with his people. These people that he's called unto himself. These people that he's going to show special kind of love to. He's taking the time to establish trust with them. He's showing them that he has this amazing power to provide. That God has the power to provide, but also God has the desire to provide. And this desire comes from a place of love. And in the process of taking his people from Egypt to Mount Sinai, what he wants his people to see, and I believe what God wants us to see, is that we as people, his created, we can place all of our trust or faith in God because he will provide. Do you believe that this morning? Do you believe that the God of the universe is big enough with, to care for all of your fears, all of your cares, all of your worries, and all of your life? I want us to believe, and we'll see here continuing today, that God is worthy of all of our trust and faith. Because he is a God that does provide. In verse uh, 1 of chapter 16, we see that God is on the move again. When we last left in, in verse, uh, chapter 15, we see that God's people had traveled from the Red Sea to Marah. And as they were traveling along the way, they became thirsty. And in their thirst, they began to complain. They began to, to cry out and say, oh, we are thirsty. And then the Lord provides water for them, and the water was bad. And so they cry out to Moses, and Moses in turn cries out to God. And God, in his great love and his great care and his desire and power to provide, provides good water. And at the end of chapter 15, we see that God leads them to Elam. And Elam is a place where there's bountiful provisions. They have an abundance of water, they have an abundance of trees, and they're in a place of rest. So they're in the mundane. But now as we pick up in chapter 16, verse 1, we see there that they set out from Elam. So God is on the move again. And all the congregation, the people of Israel, came to the wilderness of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai. On the fifteenth day of the second month, after they departed from the land of Egypt, and the whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the people of Israel said to him, Would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt, when we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full. For you have brought us out of the wilderness to kill us, to kill this whole assembly with hunger. So as we pick up, we see that God is on the move again. God has allowed them to set out from Elam. And God is now continuing to lead them on this journey. Now remember, as he's leading them on this journey, he's leading them by a cloud and by a pillar of fire. So they know when God moves, when they see God on the move visibly, that they are to pack up and to move. And so they move towards Sinai, but now they go through the wilderness of sin. And God now is setting the stage to display himself again with his great power that he has to provide. So as they begin the journey, we see that shortly after the journey begins, they're only a month into the the full journey. So it's been only a month since they, they left Egypt. And now they encounter a challenge. And verse 4 of this passage tells us that the Lord has done this so that he would test them. He wants his people to see that he is a God that provides, but puts them in circumstances and situations that challenge their faith. For our God is a God that wants us to know whom we believe in and wants us to place trust in him. So God is going to allow us to go in situations and be in places where we must exercise our faith. So God is doing this again. So in the wilderness, there is, Is no food. The people are hungry. What I think is amazing about this is that as we, we see that man is hungry, that the people of God are hungry. But God is the one that has made us this way. God has made us with people as people that have a perpetual need. We are people of perpetual need. No matter how we want to try to be as self-sufficient as we can, no matter how many times we think we can do it on our own, God has made us as people with perpetual needs. We can't do it on our own. And one of the things that we need is we need food. We cannot live life without water or food. And so it's almost as though our lives are driven by our stomach. Like, have you ever thought about if you're ever uh, taking the time to, to plan a retreat or, or you're planning a vacation A lot of your planning goes into, like, where are we going to go eat? Where are we going to stop? So a lot of our days are focused around, our lives are focused around our stomachs. And so the people here are just living in that the way that God has made them. They're driven by their stomachs, so they have no food. And they know, if I don't have food, I'm not going to have life. And so they're driven to survive. And so the people here, as they begin and feel their stomachs and their bellies being empty, as as the fathers of these families look around and they see their little children starting to become hungry, and they see their cattle and they see their livestock beginning to cry out in pain because they're hungry, the fathers of these families look at their families and they begin to become concerned. Where is our next meal going to come from? We're out in, the, in this wilderness and we don't even know where our, our food is coming from. But you see, the challenge with this passage and these circumstances is the people of God allowed their circumstances to derail them from trusting in God. When the challenges of life and the challenging circumstances came. Their, when their stomachs began to be hungry. Instead of pressing in and trusting in the Lord. They began to complain. They, they left trust in the Lord. And I want us to see right here in these first few verses. that The Bible gives us three sure signs when we have stopped trusting in God. If you want to know if, you're, if your trust is in God. Or if you've left trusting in God. Just look at how they respond. The first thing we see. Is that we know that we've stopped trusting in God when we begin to grumble about our circumstances. Look in verse 2. And the whole congregation, the people of Israel, grumbled against Moses and Aaron. They began to murmur, they began to look inwardly at their own circumstances and their own situations as they're on this journey, and they began to say, This stinks. I am hungry. This is bad. Why are we doing this? Have you ever been on a journey with your family? I don't know what it is, but whenever we get ready to go on a long journey with the with the kids, it's almost as though like we're outside of the van and everyone's happy, everyone's excited, they've got their bags, everyone's willing to help, they want to pitch in because they want to get on the journey. But something happens as soon as we shut the doors and put our seatbelts on in the van. It's almost as though the van becomes this proof box for pessimism. You know what I'm talking about? Like the door shuts and all of a sudden these happy-go-lucky kids, happy-go-lucky wife turn into vicious, pessimistic people that have all of these abundance of needs that as the driver, you're like, I am losing my mind. Like immediately shut the door and someone's got to go potty. Someone doesn't like the radio station. It's, it's the wrong channel. It's too loud. It's too soft. When are we going to get there? Look at the proof box of pessimism. You know what I'm talking about? That's what I envision as I, I hear the people of God. Like I know what that feels like. And as the driver, I'm like, can you just be quiet? Like this is a part of it, but this is, you're missing the point. We're on a great journey. We're going to Disneyland. Pessimism rules the day. You see, when we began to look inwardly and we began to feel uncomfortable, we began to feel pain, what normally comes out is complaining. And we see the people of God doing the same thing. We continually look at life from our own perspective and that's a sure sign that we're gonna get into trouble. When we began to only look and focus on life from our own perspective, from our own hearts, from our own stomachs, that's when we get in trouble and we see the people of God walking right into it again today. You see, sometimes ch- our challenging circumstances are a result of God's direct leading. God directly leads us into challenging times because God wants to either show us something amazing or God wants to do something amazing through us. We see that's exactly what he wanted to do here. From verse 4 we see that God was leading his people into a time of of hunger, because he wanted to test them. He wanted to test their trust in him. And they're completely oblivious to the test of God. If they had taken the time to not just look inwardly at their own circumstances, but look up to God, the Lord might have revealed to them what was going to happen. But you may ask yourself the question, well, how can I know if what I'm experiencing is a test from God, or if it's just the consequences of some circumstances that I never should have gotten myself into. Like, how do I know if I'm walking through difficult times, if God is leading me into this, or if it's something, it's just a consequence of my poor decisions? What we see here, in the case of Israel, they should have been able to see that it was God leading them. How do we know that? Well, we know because if God is visibly leading them, he's in a a, a pillar of fire and a cloud, if God is leading them into this, then they have to know that God is going to provide for them. Like it's not just them choosing this. They are actively, obediently following God. And when we actively and are obediently following the Lord and difficult times, challenges come, we can know that God will provide. That's how you can know if your heart's desire is to follow the Lord and you felt His leading and you sensed His leading and you're walking in obedience and difficulties come, know that it is a test from the Lord. Where He's asking you the question, do you trust me? So the first sign we know that we've stopped trusting the Lord is when we begin to grumble or begin to complain. The second thing we know if we've we've begun losing faith in God In verse 3, we see when we begin to blame others for our circumstances. We see there that they began to grumble and complain, but then they grumbled against Moses and Aaron. Where they begin looking at their situations and they're like, well, this isn't my fault. I didn't do this. So they begin looking around the next possible target and they look at Moses and Aaron and they're like, why did you do this to us? Why did you lead us out of here, out of Egypt, just to come here so that we could be hungry and so that we can die? You did this to us. It's not until verse 8 that we see that when we grumble against other people or when we blame other people for our circumstances, what we're really doing is we're calling out God. Our grumbling and our complaining are against God. And what we say to God, whether we have a target of someone else, what we're really doing is we're saying, God, I don't trust you. With my situation, with these circumstances that I'm walking through right now, whatever they may be, I don't trust you. So when we blame others for our circumstances, it's a sure sign that we've lost faith or trust in God. But another sign, the last sign we see is, if we are sitting around wishing for cer- different circumstances, if we're wishing f- for different circumstances, then we know that we've lost faith and trust in God. Look at the people of God. They're wishing they were back in Egypt. Egypt. Oh God, it would be great if we were back there. For back there, we had a pot, we had food, we had meat. Not to mention we were in shackles. We were enslaved to these people. We didn't have freedom to go where we wanted to go. We didn't have a God that was leading us. So they wish for different circumstances. They grossly exaggerate the situation. And basically they lift their fists to God. And they say, God, you are not good. Because of my situation, because of my circumstances, you are not good. Why would a good God bring us here just so that we would die? How would you respond if your child was to do that to you? If your child was to come to you and they were to grumble against you continually... They were continually say, you're a bad parent. It's your fault that I'm going through these situations. Oh, I wish I had a different mom or dad. How would that make you feel? How would you respond? Would you embrace them with love? Or would you get angry at them? Would you try to teach them? Would you try to shake them so that they would see things from a different perspective? Well, in some ways that's the way God is viewing his people, or that's the situation between God and his people now. But let's look how God responds. God doesn't come down and shake his kids. As the children of God, what does he do? He shows them exorbitant love. He shows them the amazing grace. And he shows them he has this wonderful power to provide. Look with me in verses 4 and 5. You would imagine that God would respond in anger. But he says this instead. Then the Lord said to Moses, Behold. I'm about to rain bread from heaven for you and the people shall go out and gather it a day's portion every day that I might test them whether they will walk in my law or not. On the sixth day, when they prepare what they bring in, it will be twice as much as they gather daily. So how does God respond? How does God respond to their lack of faith and trust? We see God loves he doesn't begin by scolding them or rebuking them, but he begins by preparing to care for their needs. What I think is amazing about this is that God knows our needs even before we speak them. God knows our needs. God is watching over our lives, and God is—he's he's preparing and falling out the plan, the journey of our lives. He has a plan, and He is going to provide everything we need in this journey. So he knows our needs. We see that he is prepared to do something about them. He says, I'm about to rain down bread from heaven. And then he's going to begin to set up. So he he knows our needs. So he knows that as humans, we need food. He also knows, and we're going to see this in a minute, that we need rest. God knows as he looks at us, he knows that we are not him. He knows that our bodies have limits and needs. And the reason that our bodies have limits and needs is so that we will know that we need him. That's the reason that we hunger. That's the reason that we thirst. That's the reason that we tire. For we know and God has placed those in those so that we would not be able to look to ourselves to say, I am a self-sustaining human being. I can do everything in this life in my own strength and power and ability. I don't need anyone else. God says, No, I'm gonna make you so that you hunger. I'm gonna make you so that you tire. I'm gonna make you so that you thirst, so that you have to look up and say, where does that come from? Where does the food that I eat come from? Where does the the, the water that I drink, where does that all come from? It comes from the mighty hand of God. So he knows our need. He knows that we need him. God is working in through this situation and even in our own lives is that God wants to develop a heart in his people for two things. First, God wants to develop the heart of people to per- be perpetually dependent on God for satisfaction. What God desires for us is to be people that are perpetually dependent on him for all of our satisfaction. The second thing we're gonna see is that God gives us purposeful rest for sustainment. So he provides for our heart he provides for our needs as he's developing our heart we see verses 13 through 15 that he's developing a a desire for us to be perpetually dependent on him for satisfaction and he provides quail and manna look with me there jump on down to verse 13 and then in the evening quail came up and covered the camp and in the morning dew lay around the camp and when the dew had gone up there was on the face of the wilderness a fine, flake-like thing, fine as frost on the ground. When the people of Israel saw it, they said to one another, What is it? For they did not know what it was. And Moses said to them, It is the bread that the Lord has given to you to eat. Look how amazing God is to provide On this this occasion, he gives them blessings. And we're going to see that God gives blessings, but he always gives boundaries with blessings. And this blessing on this day, he begins by providing, on a special occasion, these quail. On this one time, the people come in, and they, they look around, and they see there's all of this quail. Where did this quail come from? It didn't just appear. The Lord Supernaturally, by His power, by His might, by His sovereignty, allowed quail just to show up in this place, on this specific time, on this specific day, so they could be food for God's people. So, in a special occasion, showed up, God showed up. But we also see that God shows up in the daily provision of His people. For every morning, for the next forty years, the people of God would wake up. And they would see this flake-like substance on the ground. They went to bed at night, and it wasn't there. They woke up the next morning, and guess what was there? God supernaturally, from heaven, rained down this manna. This manna that the people could take, they could gather it up, they could work it over and make it into bread, and they could eat it. So each morning they saw the hand of God visibly providing for them. What do you think that would do for your faith in God? Like, where did this manna come from? I don't know. No, the manna came from God. It's a testimony that parents had the opportunity to share with their kids. They're like, what's this? This is good. It's sweet. As the Bible says, the manna was sweet. It was good to taste. So parents, as they're gathering it up for their children, they're making it. They're like the kids are like, "Where did this come from? Well, it came from God. God provided this for us because He loves us and He cares for us." Each morning, they woke up and they saw it. But not only does God give this great blessing. This great provision. He also gives boundaries for his blessings. He always says, this is how I'm going to provide for you. But you've got, to, you've got to live within these bounds that I provide. Because this is where you're going to be safe. This is how you're going to do it. If you, if you trust in me, if you follow me, you have me. Look at me in verse 16. These are the bounds. This is what the Lord has commanded "'Gather each of you as much as you can eat. "'You shall each take an omer "'according to the number of persons "'that each of you has in his tent. "'And the people of Israel did so. "'They gathered some more, some less. "'But when they measured it with an omer, "'whoever gathered much had nothing left over, "'and whoever gathered little had no lack. "'Each of them gathered as much as they could eat. "'And Moses said to them, "'Let no one leave any of it over till morning.' But they did not listen to Moses. Some left part of it till morning, and it bred worms and sank. And Moses was angry with them. Morning by morning they gathered at each of them as they could eat. But when the sun grew hot, it melted. The boundary was this. God's going to provide. But only take what you need for the day. Only take what you and your family need for the day. It was a daily exercise of faith. It was a momentary, every single day of this time, asking themselves the question Do I trust God? It was a question of Do I trust you, God, more than I trust my logic, or do I more than I trust that of nature, the laws of nature? I don't know if you're a farmer or you know much about farming, but farmers don't live in this way. Farmers live in the way where they work really, really hard to plant seed in the soil and they cultivate the soil. They do everything that they can. And then when it begins to grow, they reap the harvest. They reap it all at one time. They get as much as they can because farmers know that the food is not always going to be produced, that there's a season for production. So when it is, does, is produced, they get it all they can at the same amount of time. Even if they don't need it, they gather because they know it won't always be there. They know that nothing in this world continually gives. But, Jesus, or but God here is telling his people to fight against this tendency. Fight against this urge you have in your heart to prepare for the future. Fight against the tendency to gather extra. Because there's no faith in that. There's no faith when we gather extra. Faith is, God, I know you'll provide exactly what I need today. I'm not looking to tomorrow, you'll take care of tomorrow, but today I trust in you that you will provide what I need. We can see here that God does two things. He, he, wants, he wants to push against is this competitive nature that we have inside of us. He says, okay, so don't gather more than you need, just gather what you need. But then he also says, but also rise early. For verse 21 tells us that by the end, if they didn't rise early enough, guess what would happen? It would melt away. So if gather too much, it would become wretched and it would stink. But if you didn't gather or you didn't get up early enough to gather some, you were lazy and you didn't get anything. But why do you think it is that God gives us this bread? I really believe God gave the bread from heaven so that his people would, not, would trust not in the bread. He didn't give us the bread so that we would trust in the bread. Oh, for so, it's so easy for us to trust in the bread, right? Like to to gather a bread and say, I'm hungry, and if I eat this bread, I am, am immediately satisfied. I immediately can see the effects of this bread. I am full. But the bread was given by God because it says that it came down from heaven. So God is the provider of this to show that he is the one that satisfies our need. Not the bread itself. You see, the bread itself was just, it was created by God to provide temporal satisfaction, a momentary need. We all have physical needs and I, I want us to believe that God can provide for our physical needs. Sometimes he provides healing to, to cancer. Sometimes he, he restores relationships that are broken. God, God is in the business of doing that. God is in the business of providing for your needs. He doesn't always do that. But God is in the business of, of healing us and helping us and giving us the strength to provide and to move through. But God is mostly concerned about our spiritual need. God cares for our physical needs. But God is mostly concerned about our spiritual need. For we see in this process the, the, the image and the idea of the manna was to lead God's people back to him so that God himself would be their satisfaction. That they would find everything that they need in God himself. Not in the bread. Because the bread could come and go. But what he was trying to teach his people was, find your satisfaction in me. For I will provide all that you need. So it's a spiritual thing. It's the way God has always wanted it. But what about for us? For us, we have a spiritual need too. And God has been in the process from the moment of creation to this moment and through the end. God has been in the process of redeeming his people and calling them unto himself and providing for their spiritual need. For we know that we have Christ. That God has given us Christ, which is he has come from heaven in much the same way that the manna came down. But he came in a way to provide us satisfaction for our spiritual need. Look with me in John chapter 6 verse 34, 5. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. You See, we have physical needs. We are people that need food, and we are people that need rest. But because our hearts are bent toward rebellion, Because our hearts want to turn away from God and say, God, I do not need you. I do not desire you. We are in need of someone to come and to heal us from our rebellion against God. Someone to come and to save us from our sin. To come and to take our place and to take our penalty. And we see that Jesus is the one that came. He is the bread that came down from heaven to provide all that we need. So just in the same way as the Israelites needed faith in God for the bread, we need to place our faith in Christ for salvation and our hope. But there are times in which we still are disobedient to the boundaries that God has given us. And we see in verses 20 through 21... The people of God disregard the boundaries and we see that there are great consequences. The bread that they gather too much of rotted and it began to have worms and it stank. You know, there's ugly ramifications for our sin. When we live outside the bonds, the bounds that God has given us. It's the greatest image of what our sin is like. God provides. We also see that God also provided, not only did he provide food, but he provided for them rest. He was setting up rest for their sustainment. Look with me in verses 22 and following. On the sixth day, they gathered twice as much bread, two omers each. And when all the leaders of the congregation came and told Moses, he said to them, this is what the Lord has commanded. Tomorrow is a day of solemn rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. Bake. What you will bake and boil what you will boil and all that is left over lay aside to be kept till morning. So they lay it aside till morning as Moses commanded them and it did not stink and they did not have any worms in it. Moses said, eat today for today is a Sabbath day to the Lord. Today you will not find it in the field. Six days you shall gather it, but on the seventh day, which is the Sabbath, there will be none. And on the seventh day, some of the people went out to gather, but they found none. And then the Lord said to Moses, how long will you refuse to keep my commandments and my laws? See, the Lord has given you the Sabbath. Therefore, on the sixth day, he gives you bread for two days. Remain, each of you, in this place. Let no one go out of this place on the seventh day. So the people rested on the seventh day. You see, God is providing for them to give them a place of rest." He wants them to be in a place of rest. He gives them again blessings with boundaries. He says, you have six days to gather. On the sixth day, gather twice as much because I will provide twice as much. But I want you on the seventh day to rest. He's encouraging us to follow the same pattern that he has set in the the work of creation. For God on six days created the earth and all that is in it. And then on the seventh day, he rested. He's also pointing towards setting up the fourth commandment which he's going to give his people when they get to the mountain. But he says, here's the Sabbath I give to you. Sabbath literally means a stoppage. For God knows that as people, that uh, that are industrious people, that want to create and want to make and want to do and want to be, that it's easy for us to get caught up in this work. And in getting caught up in the work, sometimes we can forget who it is that we serve. For most of the time, for most of the week, many of us spend six days of our lives working towards advancing our own causes. We live towards working for our boss, working for our company, doing all these different things. And it's easy for us sometimes to get caught up in thinking our life is about advancing our own cause. So we need time to realign ourselves to the master's cause. We need time every week where we rest, where we stop advancing the causes in this world and spend time realigning ourselves with our master. The Lord gives his people here, he says, it's a day of solemn rest rest. It's a day in which you will rest. Not just to rest for rest's sake, but it's a holy stoppage to the Lord. Where in this day you take the day, you say the purpose of today is for me to stop doing those things and allow myself to worship and refocus on the God who has made me. The God who has given me life, the God who has given me all things. So he gives us a time of rest. But then we see the people of God move into their second disobedience. Second time of disobedience. Like, childs, like children, they push the limits. They disregard God's boundaries. And they go out and gather. Some of them go out and gather on the Sabbath. And they find none. And We see the Lord stepping in and lovingly correct them. And he says to them, how long will you do this? Just do it as simply as I tell you. Just do what I say and you will have life. Follow my commands, follow my words, and you will have life. It's when you veer away from my words, it's when you veer away from my law, it's when you veer away from my loving care, that's when you run into challenges that are not placed by me. God is a God who is worthy of all of our trust and faith because he is a God that provides Maybe you're here today and you've never come to the place of faith, placing your faith in Christ. I want to encourage you today, if you're, that's you, if you've been living your life fully apart from God, that today that you would turn your eyes back to the Lord and that you would see Him for who He is and that you trust in Him. Or maybe you're here today and, and the, the three instances, or the three examples of our life of when we know We've stepped out of faith and, and trust in God. Maybe those kind of cut you to the core today. Maybe you realize that there's areas of your life that you're not trusting God. Maybe you're complaining about your situation at work. You're complaining about the situation in your family. You're complaining about this. You're complaining about that. Or you're blaming someone else for your challenges or your problems. Or you wish you were somewhere else. If, if that's you today, I want to encourage you to come before the Lord and realize that what you're doing is you're, you're shaking your fist at God and saying, God, you're not good. But God gives us a great cure for our lack of faith. I want you, real quickly, I want us to see here, if you're here today and, and that's you, if you don't know the Lord or you, you're fighting against the Lord or, or you're in a place where you are complaining against the Lord, look at in verse 9 with me. This is the cure. Then Moses said to Aaron, Say to the whole congregation of the people of Israel, Come near before the Lord, for he has heard your grumbling. And as soon as Aaron spoke to the whole congregation of the people of Israel, they looked toward the wilderness, and behold, the glory of the Lord appeared in the cloud. There's the key if we find ourselves walking towards the path of grumbling and complaining, we have two things we need to do. Beginning, we come near before the Lord. We move from where we are instead of continuing in the path where we're going, we move near towards the Lord. We reposition ourselves back to God. We come near the Lord. And the second thing is we open our eyes to see His glory. That's the reality of it. We were moving in our lives and we were like, God, my life, you don't understand. He does understand. We run to him, we look to him, and he will allow his face to shine on us. I love what the psalmist says in Psalm 92. Psalm Psalm 92 shows a perfect picture of someone who's living in the provision of God. They understand, and this is how their day, from morning to night, this is what they say. It is good to give thanks to the Lord, to sing praises to your name, O Most High, to declare your steadfast love in the morning and your faithfulness by night. The bookends of their day. Those that seek to live in the provision of the Lord. They wake up in the morning and they know that the Lord is good. Even though they don't know what the day beholds for them, they know that the Lord's love is going with them. And then as they lay their head on their pillow at night, they look back and they say, Lord, you have been faithful in today. Can that be the prayer of our hearts? Can that be people that we become? Where in the morning we live in the love And at the end of the day, we look back and say, God, you have been faithful. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for loving us and thank you for your words of truth. And Father, I pray that in these next few moments, you continue to allow your word to work inside of us. Father, if you've brought about conviction of things that we've been holding on to, or we have turned our backs or faces from you, Father, I pray that you in these next few moments would turn our hearts back. That we would take care of our business with you. That we would confess sin. We confess our lack of trust and faith in you. And that you would begin and continue to work in us in this mighty and amazing way. For God, you are good and you are right. And may we be people that follow you wherever you lead us. In Jesus' name we pray.